Good morning, church. My name is Carolyn, and today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough to feed each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, it doesn't seem to matter which statistic you look at, America is becoming less and less religious. People are walking away from their Christian upbringing. The deconstruction movement continues to march on. Many of us have found ourselves in a tough conversation with a friend or a family member who we were once certain was a follower of Jesus. And now they've shown that that's not the case and walked away from the faith. This is not a new phenomenon, by the way. In the New Testament, we see multiple instances of the writers warning the church to continue in the faith. Apostasy has been going on since the very beginning. It is interesting, though, 
Although people are becoming less religious, belief in miracles continues to remain high. According to one survey in the United States, nearly 75% of people believe in miracles. So while some would say that belief in miracles is really incompatible with modern life, that miracles only happen in fairy tales and in the minds of children, the majority of people would actually beg to differ. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and today we're looking at two of the most well-known miracles in the entire New Testament. Other than the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. The story of Jesus walking on the water has captivated the minds of children and scholars alike. And today, once again, we come face to face with Jesus doing the impossible. Well, the last two weeks, you might remember we looked at John chapter 5. You'll remember that Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he had just healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. This was also during the Feast of Tabernacles, as John 5.1 informs us. Well, now the scene has shifted. In chapter 6, we find Jesus in Galilee. And John also, he gives us an important chronological note here. He tells us in verse 4, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And the reason that John mentions that primarily is because he wants to make a theological point, a a deep theological point that we're going to see shortly. But that note, it also tells us that about six months have passed since the healing of the man in Jerusalem. Now, the word about Jesus has clearly gotten out at this point. Remember, he's turned water into wine. He's cleansed the temple of the money changers and the the people who were selling animals for sacrifice. And he even made the outrageous claim, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In Samaria, he told the woman in her own words, all that she ever did. And many Samaritans believed in him because of her testimony. He healed an official son who was on the verge of death without even going to visit him. Word has spread. There is something different about this Jesus. Is he another prophet? Is he just a troublemaker? Maybe he's the Messiah. You can almost hear the the murmurs from the people as they start to gather and begin to follow Jesus. Verse 2 tells us a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now John, he makes an important note for us in verse 2. The crowd, which we know was 5,000 men, and some estimates put it at 20,000 people, uh, the crowd was following Jesus not because they wanted to obey, but because they saw the miracles. This will become even clearer in the second half of John 6 next week, but the crowd was really more curious about Jesus and less interested in actually following him. Well, Jesus is there. He's with his disciples. A large crowd is gathering and following after them. And he asked one of his disciples, Philip, he asked him a good question. Look at verse 5. Lifting up his his eyes then, and seeing that a a large crowd was coming toward him, 
Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Philip was really the perfect person to ask this question of. Remember back in John 1, we find that Philip is from the region of Galilee. He's from the city of Bethsaida. If anyone knows where we can go and buy bread for all these people, then surely it's Philip. But John, he gives us a key piece of information in verse 6. And of all four of the gospel accounts of this story, John is the only one who tells us this. Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So when I read verse 6, when I see that, two questions pop into my head. Number one, why is Jesus testing Philip? Why is Jesus testing Philip? And number two, what's the answer to the test he's being given here? What's the answer to the test he's being given? Well, I think the answer to the first question is really pretty straightforward, but it has some significant implications. Friends, good teachers test their students. Good teachers test their students. Jesus is testing Philip not because he wants to catch him off guard and give him an F on the exam. Have you ever had a, a teacher who it seems like they just take joy in giving a pop quiz so they can see everyone freak out and fail? That's not what Jesus is doing here. No, he's testing him because he wants to help him grow spiritually. Jesus is going to help Philip mature significantly through the simple question, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Christian, did you know that Jesus will test you? Jesus will test you. Again, this is not to evaluate you. It's not to give you a gold star if you pass. No, it's to mature you. I do want to point out that a test is very different from a temptation. Tests are from God. Temptations are from Satan. Now, I'm sure for some of you, just hearing the word test and thinking about a test is giving you a little bit of anxiety. You can even feel your, your blood pressure start to rise as soon as you heard the word test. Well, let me give you just a little bit of a cheat sheet here. Here's the cheat sheet. You know what the questions are often like on these tests that Jesus gives? The question's like, will you trust me with your financial situation? I didn't know those guys were going to share that the way they did. It fits perfectly with the first question. Will you, will you trust me with your financial situation? Will you put me above your career? Will you listen to me and trust me when it comes to your sex life? Will you give me the pain and the hurt that you carry? Will you let me satisfy the longings of your heart? Will you follow me? I remember being a 20-year-old student on the campus of Coastal Carolina, and the Lord had saved me as a nine-year-old boy. I'd walked faithfully with the Lord, uh, but the temptations that come with being out on your own and having a lot of freedom for the first time, uh, they started to wear me down a little bit. And I was struggling to deny myself take up my cross and follow Jesus. And I remember sitting in my apartment at University Place 
And just sensing the Lord saying to me in that moment, David, are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow me? And I sincerely believe the Lord was testing me in that moment. I really was at a crossroads in my life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, yes. My desire for the things of God increased. I found greater victory over sin. My soul, it felt full for the first time. Those sins, that, those pet sins that I was holding on to, uh, by God's grace, I let them go. I experienced the joy that comes with walking with the Lord. Friend, you may be sitting here today and you're going through a similar experience in your life. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're hearing, you're sensing Jesus telling you, will you follow me? Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you're wrecked by anger. You're wrecked by lust, self-pity, unforgiveness, a covetous spirit, whatever it might be. My question for you is, will you give that over to the Lord? Will you give it to him? Will you take it and lay it at his feet? James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Will you confess your sin and your struggles to another brother or sister? And will you just allow somebody to pray for you? I remember a sermon I heard uh, from Pastor Don Cousins way back in 2007 in Zeeland, Michigan. And he said, over and over, give it over. Over and over, give it over. And that has continued to stick with me. Brother, sister, over and over, take your struggle and your sin to the Lord. Let him heal you. Why? Why is Jesus testing Philip? Because he wants him to grow. He wants him to mature spiritually. Doxa Church, he does the same thing for us. I think he's doing the same thing for us right now in this season that we're in as a church. Let's pick it up. Let's read verses 8 to 13. Again, I want you to see this. So if you have your Bible, please follow along with me as I read it. And then I, I want to show you the answer to the, to the question that Jesus asked Philip. I want to give you the answer. Let's pick it up here. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is Jesus doing the impossible. He's doing the impossible. And can you imagine just being Andrew and you're walking up with five stale pieces of bread, two little nasty pickled fish, and he basically says, it's like, well, this is pointless, Jesus, but... Here's, here's what we have. And then right, right after that faithless statement, Jesus says, have the people sit down. 
I'm going to get back to Philip here in a second, but let's not overlook this simple, beautiful truth. Jesus can do the miraculous with the ordinary if we bring it to him. Jesus can make a tremendous impact with the simple and small things. And how often do we find ourselves in a similar situation to Andrew? Here's what I mean by that. Here's some examples. Ah, I could go over and pray with my neighbor who just lost her job, but what difference is that really going to make? I could support that missionary who's serving in a hard place, but my 25 bucks isn't really going to make a difference. Or I I could start giving to my local church, but my money isn't really going to change anything. That person, they're probably so busy with everything. I I shouldn't bother inviting them to community group this week. I'd be remiss if I didn't if I skipped over those those simple but beautiful truths that Jesus gives us here. He does the miraculous with the simple and the ordinary. Let's let's shift our attention back to Philip for a moment and think back to that second question that I posed earlier. What's the answer to the question that Jesus uses to test him? What is the answer to where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? I think first, let's realize the context of this story and understand that Jesus, he's asking a very deep theological question. Remember, this is the Passover feast. That's significant. This is the time where all the Jews remember and celebrate their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. You remember the story, right? 430 years of slavery in Egypt. A guy named Moses comes along. He's chosen and sent by God to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Ten plagues later, Pharaoh lets the people go only to chase after them later where the Israelites come to the Red Sea and God parts it before they cross. And then he destroys the Egyptian army after. You remember that whole story? If you're not familiar with it, go read the book of Exodus. Really the first 20 chapters, but read the book of Exodus. That book is actually really important for understanding the gospel of John. Well here, John 6, Passover feast is being celebrated, and hopes for deliverance from Roman uh, oppression, those hopes for deliverance were running very high. That Passover feast, that is a, a rallying point for the Jewish people. And in fact, we see that playing out in verses 14 and 15. The people see the miracle that Jesus has done. They see the sign. It's very clear. And they think that another Moses figure has come to deliver them. Deuteronomy chapter 18, it even talks about a prophet like Moses who would come and and that the people should listen to this man. Surely this Jesus who has just given bread like Moses did in the wilderness, he has to be this prophet. He has to be the one that's coming to deliver us. See, the people, they see the sign, but they miss the significance. The feeding of the 5,000, it it isn't just about Jesus feeding people who are hungry. It's about that, but it's about so much more. It's about Jesus satisfying the hearts of people who are searching. The crowds are following Jesus because they're intrigued by him. 
And now that he's, filling, he's filled their bellies, uh, verse 16 tells us they want to take him by force and make him king. But friends, they are missing the entire point. The miracle here points to Jesus as Messiah, as the Christ, not a prophet. It points to a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one. When Jesus does this miracle, do you know what he's saying? You know what he's communicating? Saying, I am the new Passover. I am your deliverer. In this miracle, Jesus is demonstrating, he's showing the crowds, he has come to satisfy our deepest longings and needs. Friends, we all need to be delivered. We all need to be delivered. And the most foundational aspect of our deliverance comes from the fact that we need to be delivered from the power of sin. We need to be delivered from the holy and righteous justice of God. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, or in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The need for spiritual deliverance, it runs much deeper than the need for political deliverance. Not that Jesus is unconcerned with this. It's actually an important piece for us to understand. The kingdom of Christ, the rule and reign of Christ is already breaking through. And one day his people will reign with him forever and ever. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. But a prerequisite to citizenship in the kingdom of God is deliverance from the domain of darkness. There is no reigning with him apart from deliverance through him. And friends, Jesus died on the cross so all who would turn from their sin and trust in him for salvation would have new life. He rose from the grave showing that he was God in flesh. And the same way that Christ rose from the dead, we can also find new life in him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, turn to Jesus and let him satisfy your soul. Don't waste your life searching. Don't waste your life trying to be good enough and feeling like you never measure up. Turn to Jesus. Let him make you whole. You know what the answer is to Jesus' question to Philip back in verse 5? Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? The right answer? Jesus, you are the bread. You are the bread of life. You are the one who satisfies. You are the one who delivers. You are the one worthy of all honor and glory. You are the one I give my life to. Don't miss what Jesus is doing here. Don't miss what he's saying. And he says it over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. I am God incarnate. I have come to redeem and fulfill you. And I have come to make things right in the world. Well, after the people try to take Jesus by force and make him king, and Jesus withdraws, 
to the mountain to be by himself. Meanwhile, the disciples, they go, they get into the boat, and they start across the sea to Capernaum. Let's look at verse 18 and read through here. It says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Look, there's a lot that we could talk about here in this section, uh, especially when you factor in the other accounts from Matthew and from Mark. But I think what John is doing, he's really putting a thematic exclamation point on uh, verse tw- the first 21 verses of John. Thematic exclamation point on this section that we've looked at. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find there's a few different guys who can part bodies of water. A few different guys who can part bodies of water. We already mentioned multiple times Moses and the Red Sea. Right? When Joshua stands at the Jordan River, and Israel's crossing into the Promised Land, the Jordan River stops flowing. In 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, the prophet Elijah parts the Jordan River again when he rolls up his cloak and strikes the water with it. Later in that same chapter, we see uh, Elisha, the prodigy of Elijah, he does the exact same thing. You see, parting a body of water, uh, it's really not a big deal for a prophet to do. I just gave you four examples of it happening. But friends, only God walks on the water. Only God walks on the water. Job 9.8, talking about God, says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? These miracles, these signs, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, point so clearly to his deity. Jesus is God. In church, Jesus, he offers the same comfort uh, to us that he offers to the disciples here. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Even when the storms of this life seem to overtake us, we need not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is going to immediately take us out of the valley? Because he's immediately going to stop the storm? He can do that, but that's, that's not why we're not afraid. No, it's because he's with us. He's with us and we fear no evil. It's because he's with us that we do not have to be afraid. And those are some of the most comforting words that a Christian can hear from Jesus. It is I. Do not afraid. Friends, Jesus, he still does the miraculous today. He is still in the miracle business, as we, hold, we heard uh, Tyson testify earlier too. If you're a Christian and you're doubting that, look first and foremost at your salvation. He's taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. You were once dead in your sin. You're now alive in Christ. Those are miraculous realities. If you're visiting with us today and you're not a Christian, and you want, you want to know more about what you've, you've heard us sing about and pray about and what's been preached about, please grab someone before you leave. 
grab me. I believe Randy, our lead pastor, will be at the door on the way out. Talk to Dale. Uh, stop and talk to someone about this Jesus that, that we're always talking about. Well, just another minute, we're going to celebrate communion together. And during this time, we remember Christ's body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. We remember uh, his resurrection and the truth that he is coming back for his people. How often do you really think about the second coming of Christ? Perfect opportunity for us to do that is when we take communion. So as we, we take the bread and we take the juice, the symbolic body and blood of Christ, we're spiritually nourished through faith. So Christian, come this morning, eat, drink, and be satisfied in Christ. Communion is open uh, for all professing followers of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you please refrain and just from coming forward and taking part in this uh, aspect of our worship service. You're actually uh, showing us a great deal of respect by not partaking if you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, but my ask of you is this. If you're not a believer, please uh, carefully consider uh, everything that you've, you've heard today. Think about what it would mean to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, well, communion will be served here at the front. Uh, as you feel led, you can come forward, receive the bread and the juice. Uh, make your way back to your seat, and then we will take uh, the elements together. So church, let's celebrate. This is a time of celebration. Let's celebrate all we have in Christ. Let me pray. We're going to continue in our worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that we have in Christ. Thank you for the tests that mature us and draw us closer to you. Thank you that you use the simple things to bring you much glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you satisfy our souls. I pray that we individually and as a church family would be filled with your Holy Spirit. Let our lives demonstrate that you, Jesus, are our joy, our satisfaction. You're the one who fulfills the deepest desires and longings of our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name.